we've got to engage in building a robust system of advocacy and one that really centers, you know, on social support. And you can do that with community partners. You can do that internally if you're coming from sort of a post-secondary institution space. But that, that really needs to be sort of at the core of it, how we kind of think about supporting the narrative around workforce development needs to be interrogated a bit, how we sort of invite others into that discussion and how we encourage bridge building, especially if I'm thinking from the context of the college with our empowerment programs, historically, you know, address the needs of our minoritized populations and what is that support and what does it look like for us to promote collaboration? The workforce landscape is rapidly changing and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us, you the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo, and this is The Future of Work. When it comes to diversity, how do we find ways to become a part of the solution? Well, this topic is just as layered as you might think, and today we have PCC's Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer, Dr. Carrie Bolin, to distill this topic down for us. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I am your host, Salvatrice Kumo with Pasadena City College, and my co-host here today is Leslie Thompson. Hey, Leslie. Good morning. We do have a special guest here with us today. She is our Chief Diversity Officer for the college, Pasadena City College, Dr. Carrie Bolin. Hi, Dr. Bolin. Hello, hello. Good morning, everyone. I am just pleased to be here. We're excited. I know I've shared this with you multiple times. I can't. This is what this is what excitement sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I can't even tell you how many times you know we've shared about. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you. Thank you for choosing us as your as your family, as your new family, your uh, your work family. But we are so thrilled to talk about really the work around diversity, equity, inclusion. What does that mean for the college? What does that mean for employers? What does that mean for mm-hmm. us as professionals? You know. Um, right. And so if it's okay with you, I, you know, we'd like to dive right in if that's all right. I'm ready. Well, I'd like to start with a little background information. If you could tell us a little bit about your education and career path and how you arrived at this particular position and how you chose PCC as your new work family. Yes. Great question. I am, of course, I mean, a huge fan of PCC. PCC has been sort of on my vision board for quite some time now. I've shared in some spaces that 
got some roots here in the community where my grandmother was the first black computer programmer um, in the administrative office. And that's kind of her claim to fame, having worked at PCC at one point at junior college for 30 years. So we spent quite a bit of time on campus as we would visit her during the summer months. And so I was just over the moon when this opportunity bubbled up to the surface. My career in higher education has been for double digits. I'll just leave it like that. And I really kind of started out, you know, with an interest in in law. And when, you know, my senior year came up and I was applying to law schools and all that good stuff, I realized that that was just not, not my calling in life, that I needed to engage with individuals and that in particular um, around justice. I had a very interesting sort of upbringing, having, you know, resided in um, communities where we were sort of the only and lonely. I identify as African-American. And that really kind of, you know, was a jumpstart to my own sort of racial identity development. And so I didn't have the language for it then, but once I got it, I was certainly using it and wanted to, to learn more, to deepen my understanding of my own identity development and that of others. And so that was kind of a precursor to this role. I've I've worked, you know, in a number of capacities, you know, disability services, student activities, alumni affairs, residential education, but nothing quite gives me the same sense of joy and, and completion as diversity affairs. And so I'm, I'm excited to be, you know, in that role in this particular capacity right now. And I've, I've had some phenomenal mentors that, that have helped me to sort of get to, uh, get to this place um, that I'm in today as the Chief Diversity Equity Inclusion Officer. Inaugural. I like to say that that's my, my claim to fame, is that right. it's an inaugural position. You're mm-hmm. the first one, and we're so happy you're here. Yes. First, but not the last. Well, I think that as we grapple around or think about, I should say, is as we think about our efforts as a division, as economic and workforce development, you know, Leslie and I have had these conversations around, you know, how do we best engage employers in this work with the college? Because for us, I mean, we're, we're getting quite a bit of inquiry on companies, corporations, small business, but medium-sized, but any size business really, coming to us and saying, how do we, how do we do this? Although this is not new, but mm-hmm. how do we, how, how do we become better employers around, around diversity, equity, inclusion? How do we, how do we change our culture, our company culture? How do we, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you think about all the things that they talk about. Right. You know, for us, it's it's we're kind of like in this limbo of how how might that work? What might that look like for employers to engage with an institution like ours to help facilitate those conversations and efforts um, within their organization? And, you know, just thinking about ideas, you know, what might be you think some some thoughts around that? That's a, I mean, a really, a really good question. I, th- I think the, the first piece that I, that I might ask of employers um, is really to begin by taping, taking a deeper examination of their motives and goals around diversity, right? It's, it's, it's in, in some spaces, you know, can be seen as kind of a fad. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of something that we're supposed to be doing. You know, you need to know why DNI initiatives are critical for your business and for your organization. And if your answer is, well, I don't want my company to implode from a scandal, well, that's not good enough. Right. You need to find something aspirational and, and, and sort right. of start building towards that and, you know, and away from sort of diversity as, as a, you know, a box that you check off. And I think, you know, 
I think we have such an awesome opportunity to do that. There are communities that have in this particular season um, that we're in now, they've been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, for example. And for them, it has posed some really traumatic challenges to their economic well-being, stability, and mobility. And these communities, and more often than not, are communities of color, are also part of sort of occupations that are at greater risk now of elimination as a result of, you know, where we're at technologically um, and so forth. We're kind of seeing sort of the globalization of, of different um, work industries and, and all that good stuff. And so these types of disruptions, as you, know, you might call it, are, are really demanding not only new skills, but kind of new concepts of work and workers and workplace. And so training is is so incredibly important when we're we're thinking about, you know, how we're wanting to sort of mitigate the challenges and barriers for our students, for individuals outside of post-secondary education in kind of this, this shift that we're at right now. Even thinking about sort of the standard 40-hour work week, you know, it's kind of disintegrating as we're kind of, you know, sort of in this period of sort of 24 access to and demand for information and work and services, you know, it kind of begins to sort of reshape what work, you know, um, you know requirements look like. And so kind of in that same vein, employers have to make a commitment to today's workers in, in various ways, in ways that they didn't have to before. And so that means sort of investing in innovating teaching and learning models, talked about training models, again, that support the identities and lived experiences of our workers, models that foster a racially just workplace. That really should be at the forefront of today's conversations within our industries, professional development and policy making for, you know, employers and, and sort of what that looks like and centering equity there. And I mean, we have to turn sort of dialogue into action and go beyond sort of this um, symbolic approach to, to DEI as it, as it relates to, to the workforce and and, and address some of those those challenges. Um, I love quotes, and not often do I actually remember who says it, but I can remember a quote. But but this, you know, kind of thinking through the quotes that kind of move me, I made sure to to make sure that I give credit, um, do credit to Booker T. Washington, who was an educator, was an author, and an activist, and, and and wrote more than a century ago that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles by which one has overcome while trying to succeed. And so it's really important for us to understand that as I, you know, um, uh, I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about that economic liberation and economic justice has not really been in existence for everyone. Um, and, and some may argue still is not. So when we kind of reflect on in, in your in your question on sort of workforce development as kind of an econ, you know, a gateway to economic opportunities, we want to understand that historical, political, and societal subtext. And I believe that employers have the obligation to understand that. And so, you know, when you're thinking about pushing for increased recruitment in historically minoritized population, you're thinking about anti-bias training for individuals from the CEO to the mail carrier, you know, and, and you're thinking about how sort of you sponsor sort of non-white employees for high potential leadership development programs. It's, it's important for you to have sort of that, that historical um, context to help drive some of that and, and also to be abreast as to the research. What is the research showing? I mean, it's, it's showing that, that Black, you know, African-Americans um, are less likely than their white peers to be hired, to be developed, and, and, and ultimately to be promoted, and, and, um, and that their sort of lived experience in the workplace um, is worse even than that of other peers of color. So having that, you know, having that content knowledge, I think is incredibly important important and would behoove, um, you know, our employers to to prioritize as they're thinking about their own sort of PD during this particular time and, and, and particular climate. 
I love that answer, first of all. And I love the part about uh, dialogue into action. Uh, just yesterday, mm -hmm. we were talking to an employer and we were saying, you know, kind of a discussion around what their the a DEI employer program would be that PCC would partner with them. And we talked about the need to engage in meaningful dialogue around diversity, mm -hmm. equity and inclusion, not just the the importance of the benefits, you know, and the importance, benefits and necessities of fostering it within a particular culture, but also almost the moral imperative, like why it has to, in order for it to be sustainable, it has to be internally driven and socially That's just. Right. And just intrinsic. like you say, it has mm -hmm. to be intrinsic, intrinsic, yes. And it needs to be, you know, built into and taking into consideration all the context that we speak about, the, the historical context, the, you know, research and the realities of uh, inequities ex as they exist. So that's a great that's a great answer. I would like to kind of go back a little bit um, and ask about. So we talked about this being a new role, and I wanted to raise the question of how do you prioritize your initiatives? I know you have a lot of stuff to do. How does EWD get on your list of the top ten things you want to work with in your first year no or pressure. two? Like we, no pressure, no pressure, no pressure. Yeah. But we we want <laughs> we want to be engaging because you know we do feel strongly that kind of workforce development is kind of like a gateway towards, uh, you know, for mobility and equity. And we want to be in t an integral part of that. We want to understand our roles, too. We want to understand barriers that me we may be able to eliminate and also an honest dialogue about barriers that me we may contribute to. So kind of thinking about that as the role of the chief diversity, equity and inclusion officer, all the initiatives on campus, all the things that you need to weigh in at a federal, state, and institutional level, regulations, norms, and all of this. How do you determine where to focus first, and where do you think you'll focus your energy first? And the second part of that is, how, how can EWD partner with you? I appreciate the, the question. I also appreciate sort of you recognizing the breadth of the role because it really is kind of a jack of all trades. And, and I mean, the, the other part of that piece is, you know, a master of none. The hope is that you are a master of several of those things, right? Because you are having, to your point, to have a, a competency in change management, a competency in organizational development, uh, a competency in critical race theory, psychology and law to a greater extent. And of course, I'm not certainly saying that I have mastery in all those areas, but um, you, you do have to have sort of a, a broad stroke knowledge of, of all in order to adequately, I would say, assess the work and, and ultimately make recommendations towards greater equity. So I consider my role as a diversity strategist. Um, and really what it, you know, what that means is that I kind of stand in a position to kind of facilitate the development of diversity as not just an initiative, but really as a lens, right, through which um, we do goal setting, action and measurement and measuring of success. Um, at least that's 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 how I see it. And a scholar that I, I tend to lean on quite often is author Damon Williams. He speaks to a great length to the role of the CDO and, and just overall strategic diversity leadership. And, and he, he talks about its primary function being to sort of explore ways to improve organizational culture and campus communities, quality of life for all constituencies. That's really kind of at the core of it. That's kind of like it in a nutshell. And that really is is quite a feat, as you mentioned. So again, I really appreciate that, that sort of acknowledgement because everyone wants something or needs something different, right? That's just what equity work is about. It's not equality work. Sure. Um, that's giving everybody the same thing. But, you know, it's the equity work, meeting folks where they're at and giving them what they need to be successful. And that might look different across the spectrum. And so um, you're really having to kind of evaluate the, the environment to which sort of multiple individuals from you know, a cross section of backgrounds are a part of, and then thinking through creating intervention sort of tools to make the environment conducive for all. And, 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 and that's in part why 
I don't do this work, you know, in a vacuum. I don't do it in a silo. This work is is done in, in community. And it's also process-driven work. And really, the reason why it's so important, and I think for me, so rewarding to do it in community is because diversity benefits everyone. I mean, the entire community has a stake in diversity efforts. And in my role, the primary focus is really to enable sort of a a multi-pronged approach to meeting those diversity aims and doing so sort of in community, thinking through concrete and measurable outcomes, thinking through, you know, what does a cultural shift or transformation look like and who does it impact and who's at the table to, to, you know, make those recommendations and, and, and share that narrative. And so I've been engaging, you know, a listening tour since um, uh, since my start in November, really to do just that, you know, really sort of identify really the response to that very question that you pose and, and identify sort of where are the deepest gaps and, and where are their untapped resources and, you know, what might be sort of our, our best approaches to, to addressing them. So I, I mean, I'm already, you know, thankful for the partnership and collaboration that I've had with EWD in thinking through and centering really the equity conversation, creating platforms like this and inviting me to the platform to kind of, you know, sort of highlight and elevate the conversation around diversity and inclusive excellence. And I think, you know, creating more sort of conversational communities and identifying sort of in community, you know, what those needs are based on the constituencies that we represent is a large part of sort of what that partnership can look like and should look like moving forward. Do you think, and and this might be a, a loaded question, I'm wondering, you know, as an institution, as we do the, this work, right, as we shift mindsets and culture and processes and policies and and really addressing those barriers that we can ha- have control over, some of the barriers that we don't have control over outside of our outside of our our, our building here outside of our campus mm-hmm. what could we do outside of this college to address those barriers and or help remove them what happens first I mean we're part of you know we're part of other economic development agencies as partners you know the workforce mm-hmm. development board the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership LAEDC etc mm-hmm. etc and you know we do a lot of work on really the skills development for new talent, upskilling the existing talent. We do a lot of work around that. But I feel as though we're, you know, we're really missing, we're missing the fact that we're not seeing it through the lens. Sometimes we don't see it through the lens of diversity, equity, inclusion. Like we're so concerned about, and we should be, and not that we're not, you know, you know, we want to put more folks in the workforce, you know, Build the, the local economy. Get the skills uh, that folks need to to have that upward mobility. So we're doing a lot of fostering and cultivating and nurturing, but sometimes I don't think that we are, we are intentional in our work about seeing it through the lens of diversity, equity, inclusion. And I wonder if there's outside barriers that you see that you think that you might say, you know, this is something that we should probably focus on as an, as, as an institution outside of outside of these buildings? Yeah, no, that's a good question. It makes me, it reminds me of an, an article that I was reading and I actually, a, a colleague of mine had sent it to my attention. It was a report that was on employment trends and it found that uh, 2020 presented greater challenges for employers looking to expand their workforce. 
I was talking about sort of as the country's labor market is kind of near full employment and job openings are, you know, remaining, you know, at at high levels, that sort of thing. And and it gave sort of an example of sort of the industry around technology and technology hiring. And the report revealed um, from, I guess, a survey uh, of IT hiring decision makers that that around, I think it was 86 percent reported challenges finding skilled workers. But it was interesting that I got that article and I just left a conference where the keynote speaker um, is an information technology conference had just shared that there had been some recent research done uh, concerning R1 universities that showed that they were graduating Black students at twice the rate that leading tech companies were hiring them. So my question was like, hmm, so why is that? And so I think that, you know, uh, EWD really positions colleges to be responsive to employers, but also to the needs of individuals entering into today's labor market. There's there's a disconnect, I mean, with just the, the little bit of information that I just shared with you. And so I think for me that my response to that would, would, would be, we've got to engage in building a robust system of advocacy and one that really centers, you know, on social support. And you can do that with community partners. You can do that internally if you're coming from sort of a post-secondary institution space. But that that really needs to be sort of at the core of it. How we kind of think about supporting the narrative around workforce development needs to be interrogated a bit. How we sort of invite others into that discussion and how we encourage bridge building, especially if I'm thinking from the context of the college with our empowerment programs. Historically, you know, address the needs of our minoritized populations and what is that support and, and, and what does it look like for us to promote collaboration and what can that impact sort of look like, you know, in response to this sort of competitive 21st century workforce? You know, I think that there's in, in Salvatrice, you and I have had some 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 good conversation around, you know, what does it look like for us to increase efforts around, you know, integrating, you know, our credit and non-credit workforce training programs to really, mm-hmm. again, better meet sort of the shifting need, you know, around um, the labor workforce and looking at our non-credit courses and the labor market demands and thinking through maybe even new non-credit um, programs and employer sure. cer- um, certificates, mm-hmm. especially in light of where we are. So I think the other piece as far as support and partnership and coalition building is funding. I mean, I know that that's probably on the tip of everyone's tongue, you know, but especially where we're at now over the next several years, depending on the industry that you're in, budget cuts is, you know, kind of, I mean, a norm. And those certainly impact sort of, you know, community colleges for sure, ability to invest in new workforce programs and even and even maintain existing ones. But I think the other piece are that community college workforce training programs, well, what they'll want to sort of think about is how best to sort of maximize our online and remote instruction. So when we're thinking about, you know, what does support look like? How do we continue to address some of the equity gaps, whether it be digital or so forth. That's one piece, thinking about sort of traditional occupational programs and how they rely on in-person, hands-on instruction, particularly in the trades, and, and how colleges will likely have to come up with, you know, creative ways to help workforce training faculty adopt new ways of teaching. So, yeah, again, it, it, I'm, I'm probably sharing more more issues than I am solutions, but it, it ultimately is us kind of thinking through what is that, you know, what does that infrastructure of, of care and support look like for one another, especially during uh, during sort of this twin pandemic? And what does our investment look like? I'm thinking about, you know, our work-based learning approaches and apprenticeships, internships, and, and kind of our co-op education. I'm, you know, you think about sort of the how financial barriers, right, often prevent um, our low-income students from, you know, accessing those high-quality internships, many of which are really unpaid, traditionally unpaid, right? 
So what does it look like for us to create sort of those, you know, community partners, you know, um, with employers who are sort of, you know, holding fast to interrupting that and, and um, providing competitive salary options for internships uh, so that we can address some of those critical concerns for particular populations. And so we have to take sort of a targeted intervention approach uh, to the work. And, and again, as mentioned, we do it in community. Well, you mentioned that you, you raised more issues than solutions. And I think that that's probably because there are more issues than solutions, right? <laughs> and and going back to what you said earlier about um, action, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. how do we move the work from just talk around DEI into actual action? Like we talked about yeah. engaging, you know, we need to engage students, yeah. faculty, staff into the meaningful efforts around DEI. We need to engage mm-hmm. employers. I'm glad you mentioned um, our work-based learning initiative and the, the need to get employers to agree to paid internships because that is some mm-hmm. of the work that's being done right now and within all the pillars of EWD, but trying to being intentional with the programming and, and looking at it in a different lens. Thinking about what you said earlier about, you know, giving everyone the same thing is not equity, right? Um, kind of mm-hmm. understanding where folks are, meeting them where they are and giving them what they need. That's when we think about being intentional in our programming. That's what we talk about. But mm-hmm. how do we move into action? Like, how do we start moving those bricks? Like, what's your what's your plan for, for your the area of your purview? And then so that we can model that in our own efforts to start taking action too. Yeah, great question. I think first there, I mean, really needs to be kind of a shift in in our understanding of why diversity matters. I know that much of the research shows that a more diverse community improves learning, problem solving, you know, enhances research. You can just kind of go down sort of the, the laundry list. I don't have to convince you all. But so, I mean, we need to start setting kind of our values in that work. And that includes a commitment to financial and human resources around the work. So that's 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 certainly, you know, a major piece. I remember, you know, following the events of May 25th, seeing organizations just, I mean, just move quickly towards DI efforts, whether it was hiring around hiring efforts or, as I mentioned, you know, uh, providing more resources to go towards particular PD training and that sort of uh, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it, I mean, there was a real there was real momentum you know, following those events. And, and, and for some of them, they've been sustainable. And for others, they've been quite, quite symbolic. And, and, and that's what we want to get away from. So that's why for me, I mean, one of the biggest pieces is, is, you know, identifying sort of where's our, where, where do we set our values as it relates to DEI? And one of the reasons why for me, this position was so attractive is that, you know, our, our, our fearless leader, you know, superintendent and president, Dr. Andrew Johnis, you know, decided to place this position, you know, at the executive level, that's, that's not universal. And that in and of itself, you know, sent a message in around the priority of this work. I think we also need to, you know, in in thinking about sort of moving the work from talk to action, that we need to sort of change the narrative around what does it mean to center diversity and inclusion within the workplace um, in particular, and even, you know, on college campuses, you know, again, it not being sort of that diversity checkbox. We've got X amount of individuals from, um, you know, Y group. We've met met the diversity quota, et cetera, you know, because you'll, you'll, and, and in addition to that, you also hear statements, even on higher education campuses that, that, you know, say we care about diversity, but we want to make sure we're not lowering the bar, right? And if I had a dollar for every time someone said that, my goodness, I wouldn't have to show up to work today. And that's really <laughs> discouraging. You know, we need to make sure that we have a shared understanding and a, a shared sense of responsivity and responsibility around this work. This is not my work. It's our work. I'm just so, I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of it. But, you know, we really need to sort of uh, be in contact with uh, recognizing the vast benefits to diversity 
and then you know creating those conversational communities that are driving those changes and then holding one another accountable i honestly need to have like accountability t-shirt company because i would wear that every day accountability is it's 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 That's absolutely key. crucial it's key yes. it's key that's key it's absolutely um, it key. Is Absolutely. It's the cornerstone of this work in particular. And I, I would argue, you know, much of just work in general, you're not going to be, you know, successful or even meet your bottom line without a, an accountability piece as, as part of it. So when I think about shifting from conversation to, to action, the accountability piece um, continues to sort of bubble up to the surface. In my role, you know, right now, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, spending much of my time doing community building. Much of what I'm doing actually is in and around diversity mapping. And it, it affords us kind of this reflexive opportunity to to do some self-inquiry, right? And, and kind of think about our campus structure and how it's grounded in diversity and, and what that looks like, you know, in terms of values and principles and, and goals and outcomes. And, and most especially, I would say, you know, um, resource allocation. And so if I'm thinking about how, you know, EWD and others can kind of get on board with that, I would almost encourage other departments and divisions and and entities to do just that, to do their own self-inquiry and do their own diversity mapping and and think through, you know, their, what are their diversity efforts look like, their programs and courses and curriculum and so forth. And and who are they impacting? Who are they leaving out? And and as I mentioned before, you know, identifying what those larger gaps are and and where some of those untapped resources are and, and, and then thinking very intentionally and critically about creating infrastructure to either, you know, um, address those and or, and or to do some dismantling. There's nothing wrong with, you know, doing some dismantling as, as long as, you know, you've got a plan for rebuilding. So um, it's probably necessary. Yeah, that, that, yeah I would think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Absolutely. you want to build a robust system of advocacy, it's going to be necessary to dismantle some stuff. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And and that's a hard pill to swallow, especially for peers of ours that um, have been, you know, have been doing it the same way for quite some yeah. time. That's why, you know, as yeah. I mentioned, us identifying that shared, you know, understanding and appreciation for diversity, uh, not mm-hmm. in rhetoric, but in its actual application um, is, is really important. It's kind of a, a step one. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I mean, I can see that for sure being the case because we hear it all the time. Well, that, that's how we've always done it. Any, any for any any given process, like we have a problem. Folks in general have a problem with change and and process yeah. changes and things like this. And this is a major shift in thinking, and it's a major shift in perspective. Yeah. Particularly when people don't see themselves as maybe part of. I don't want to say part of the problem, but you know what I'm saying. Like they, they don't see themselves. No, as, no, you should say it's complicit in the. They're yeah. part of the problem. They Absolutely. don't see themselves as part of the problem. You know, it's not enough to just do no harm anymore. Now you have right. to actively do something right. You know, that's so, right. That's um, right. You want to be part of the, the solution. Part of the solution, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's it's not okay just to not to do nothing anymore. Um, and and that's so that's true. a challenge to change that. Yeah, I think the other piece that as you were speaking just made me think of it. I think the other the other sort of obstacle or hurdle is 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 you know diversity fatigue. It really is a real thing. I mean, and and, and you can probably ask any other yeah any any other diversity practitioner. I mean, it, you you get you get become exhausted around discussions of diversity and inclusion, especially if you're in a particular industry where I mean there is no movement. Um, and so I again we have to kind of sort of you know help people. Th- you know, think of, think about and talk about diversity differently. And, and I think that only, you know, sort of begins by us, you know, kind of sitting at the table and, 
and, and sort of unpacking what it means to us individually. And that's where that self-examination examination comes in. And to your point, acknowledging that sort of brazen racism and sexism and, 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 and so forth that exists within us and or within, you know, our communities and so forth. And, and wanting to be a part of sort of, you know, that shift and that transformation and that, and that change is really step one. Um, I was part of um, a conversation the other day. And I appreciated uh, what a colleague had said. They were talking about uh, Black economics and, and they shared out that you can't have Black economic liberation without having Black ed- education justice. And then you can't have Black education justice, you know, without having, again, Black, or rather having Black liberation. So I, I appreciate that, that if we're thinking about liberation of, of communities, um, you know, it requires economic justice and it requires educational justice. And so that's really the nexus. That's really the the, the piece that needs to be across industries, sort of at the forefront of how we're thinking about addressing DEI um, concerns and or centering it within sort of the, the workforce conversation is that that liberation is is beyond the equity piece. And, and, it's, and it's looking at justice across the board. And yeah, so if we're looking for economic stability and success and prosperity for, for you know, our colleagues and peers and students and so forth, it, it doesn't happen without that. It doesn't happen without that educational justice. It doesn't happen, you know, without justice in a number of different areas. So this, this work is, I mean, it is, it is bone marrow deep. You know, it is bone marrow deep. And so for our colleagues that see it as just, you know, terminology that we're using right now because of the particular national global climate or a fad or something that's not as 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 important as it needs to be or some sort of structural piece like let's just make sure we have X amount of representation, they are sorely mistaken. Right. And and they're not gonna move forward. And they're they're not gonna no. help us get to the that important nexus for liberation and education. You're just right. not going to, you're not going to get there unless folks get there with you. Right. That's right. Thank you so much, Dr. Bolin. Uh, it sounds Thank like you. we have a, a, a good charge in front of us, a positive charge. And all of us need to just have to do so much work in, in collaborating and doing this work together. Yes. And uh, know that we, you have a partner, know that you have a, a partner here at PCC and we look forward to working closer with you, but thank you so much for spending your morning with us and Dr. Bullen, if, if we have an audience or members who'd like to get in touch with you, can they do that? Can they connect with you? Absolutely. I mean, that, that is one thing for sure that I make myself accessible and available. So please, um, please encourage your listeners to get in touch with me. I have um, some coffee chats coming up. If you're a member of the Pasadena community, if you're not, um, you can find my phone number online. Please reach out. I'd, I'd, I mean, I'd love to to hear your story. Thank you so much. We'll put your contact information in the show notes. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode. Thank you for listening to the future of work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform. So you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate partner, or just chat about all things future of work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.